Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Afwa Hush. I'm Peter Frankopan. And in our podcast, Legacy, we explore the lives of some of the biggest characters in history. This season, we're exploring the life of Cleopatra. An iconic life full of romances, sieges and tragedy. But who was the real Cleopatra? It feels like her story's been told by others with their own agenda for centuries. But her legacy is enduring, and so we're going to dive into how her story has evolved all the way up to today. I am so excited to talk about Cleopatra, Peter. Love Cleopatra. She is an icon. She's the most famous woman in antiquity. She's got to be up there with the most famous woman of all time. But I think there's a huge gap between how familiar people are with the idea of her compared to what they actually know about her life and character. So for Pyramids, Cleopatra and Cleopatra's Nose. Follow Legacy Now wherever you get your podcasts. Or you can binge entire seasons early and ad-free on Wondery+. Plus. Hi there, it's Maddie. I'm just jumping in to let you know that this episode contains some sensitive content. So if that's not for you, check out our back catalogue of amazing episodes. And if you're sticking with us, enjoy. Cork, Ireland, the 14th of September, 1772. Charles Bunworth is dead. Bunworth was a beloved Church of Ireland rector and harpist who had long helped join religious divides in the town of Brigog and beyond. He was affectionately referred to as the Minister. A fluent Irish speaker and the descendant of the Irish patriot John Philpot Curran, in life Bunworth had been well versed in the traditions and folklore of Ireland. His death, however, had not come as a surprise to some. The supposed circumstances surrounding Bunworth's death were documented by his great-great-grandson, Thomas Crofter Croker, in Fairy Legends and Traditions of the South of Ireland in 1825. In it, Crofton Croker assures his readers that, quote, there are still living credible witnesses who can declare the authenticity of what follows and who can be produced to attest most if not all, of the following particulars. But what were those particulars? What was so notable about Bunworth's death? Well, according to his great-great-grandson, his passing had been foretold by a haggard old lady, sitting under a tree near his house almost a week before he died. There was no doubt in the minds of the people of Brigogue that they had been visited by none other than the Banshee herself. Welcome to After Dark, Myths, Misdeeds and the Paranormal. We have 
a really incredible episode today. And I'm going to let Anthony introduce our guest because she is a very good friend of his. Anthony? Yes, we have um, a special guest in the studio today, uh, a, a an expert in all things history, and that is the one and only Siobhan McSweeney. And I could listen, I could wax lyrical about Siobhan's recent BAFTA win or her hosting credentials on Great Pottery Throwdown or her iconic role as Sister Michael on Derry Girls. But to me, Siobhan McSweeney will always be the actress who played my oldest sister in a play that we do not talk about anymore, about 10 or so years ago, probably more than 10 years now. But since then, we've entertained each other with day trips to period properties and gone on country walks and talked the hind legs of each other and put the world to rights several times over copious glasses of champagne. She is, listeners, part of the family, and we are delighted to welcome her to After Dark today. Welcome, Siobhan. Yay. Hello. Hello. You know, lovely to be here in uh, in person. When we tried to do this via Zoom, yes, it was a lot easier to listen to that um, to that introduction. Now I've just, um, I'm blushing and feeling no, very awkward. You say that, but actually that was all contrived by you so you got to hear it twice. Yeah, I know. Mm. <laughs> it's just like, what uh-huh, the? There was, again. There were some, some nice things there. I might like to hear those again. Just we're done. also recording this several times. So that, oh, oh, whoops. <laughs> yeah, whoops yeah. Take uh, it from the top. <laughs> just go from the introduction again. <laughs> Do that one. Yeah, yeah, what did you say about me? And was it about the BAFTA when you were most impressed or least impressed? Well, actually, the the bit I was least impressed with was the older uh, sister. You were my older sister. Well, only in matters of age. <laughs> well, that's how we count these things, which <laughs> is kind of one of the, the key elements to how, how that panned out. But we don't, again, we don't... We don't talk um, about it. We don't talk we about, don't it. Talk we about don't. it. We had a, Maddie. we had a... Um, it was my first ever play after drama school. We went to the same drama school, but not at the same time because Siobhan is older than I am. And, now, now. Um, we, yeah, it was funny, wasn't it? It was No. Um, no, no. There no, was it wasn't. nothing funny about no. it. It was a very mediocre fringe show, which I it think was. is sort of a rite of passage for, for every uh, struggling ac- actor at the start of their career. Mm. Or me, several years into my career. <laughs> <laughs> and look at you now. Yeah, yeah, BAFTAs yeah. galore. Yeah, can't mo- I can't move for the BAFTAs in yeah, this room right yeah, now. Yeah. I, I'm she sorry for bringing it with, with me. It. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's in your bag as well. Um, So in the opening section of the narrative, we have Bunworth dying in 1772. So in Ireland, we have a monarch who is the British monarch on the throne. It's George III. Um, We are seeing a lot of unrest around Europe and in America, which will inevitably lead to revolutions there. There is then a a rising of the United Irishmen in Ireland in 1798, which ultimately fails. But this is the kind of world in which Bunworth has been living, in which he dies and in which then goes on to inform Ireland in the 19th century, which sees the beginning of the Gaelic revival. Um, There are kind of bog bodies being discovered and being dug up. And it's there's this kind of reconnection to what Irishness means in the context of the British Empire. So the Banshee fits into these kind of stories in its own unique way. And uh, Maddie, I'm just wondering, like, what do you know about Banshees from your perspective, having come from outside Ireland? To me, a banshee is a little bit like a mermaid, maybe. I have been reliably informed that is not the case and that they are not necessarily coastal. I also know that they're, I want to say specifically an Irish thing. It's something I'm guessing the pair of you grew up with in a way that I didn't in England. 
That's not fair. And what do you think, Siobhan? Well, the way, I mean, it's a really good question whether it's uniquely Irish. Mm. Banshee basically, you know, is Gaelic for a fairy woman. Mm-hmm. Um, ban woman, she of the of the fairies. Mm. So I don't know, maybe it's in Scotland as well. Yeah, I, I, no, do you know, I think it is kind of uniquely Irish and right. that it's linked to the, directly to the two of the To the, the families. Well, it's d- linked directly to the families and we'll get to that in just a second. But the, to the, it's the two of the Danon and if you don't know what the two of the Danon is, it's basically this kind of pre-Christian fairy folk that, surreptitiously ruled Ireland. It was almost kind of folkloric and religious in its own sense. And it was this kind of army of fairy people, basically, who were manipulating the climate, who were manipulating all different types of things. And the Banshee comes from that kind of, that mythology. And and there was a... um, uh, Lanan Shiada, who was the spirit of life, and then the Banshee, or the Banshee, was the the spirit of death. And so Mm. there is this death associated. So I do think... It's actually even more specific than Celticism. I think it is Irish in, wow, in that okay. because it's linked so specifically to, to, to the, the Tua. To the yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean, I um, my understanding of it is actually not even um, as a woman, just as a wailing noise. Mm. Mm. So the sound is really important. Yeah, really, okay. really important. So you hear her before you, you hear, hear her. her. Okay, okay. It's actually, I think, like you, you almost try to block your ears. So if you don't hear it, it's a way of yeah. <laughs> postponing yeah, yeah. Oh the inevitable. I, I did that as a child. Did you? Yeah, because I was on the border of sanity probably for 98% <laughs> of my childhood. On the border of Kilkenny, I thought. <laughs> on the border of Kilkenny and Leash, I was. But um, I do remember being in my bed with the bed clothes pulled yeah. up with the fingers in the ears and the Fear things. Hear Can anyone say anxiety? But yeah. <laughs> uh, that, honestly, that I do remember going, no, we're not hearing this. I don't care what's going on. We're not hearing it because she was just around. Like, and I yeah. think that probably helps if you've got a bit of an imagination. But like, mm-hmm. she seemed to be quite present. She did. And I think perhaps uniquely rural. Um, yeah. Certainly. Yeah. With, with, yeah. with the wind maybe coming yes. in through drafts or whatever. Um, yeah. yeah. The fact that she would be a woman or a fairy woman it was only ever the voice that, uh, mm. that struck terror I think and that's interesting right because that's an our generation thing I think mm-hmm. because in like the 19th century it was very much a visual as well Right. so it was a particular type of woman so the long and my great grandmother was alive when I was born and I remember seeing her and I was just about to say and I remember seeing her God love her now that there's another Irish person in the room I've suddenly oh, got God into all the colloquialisms but I remember seeing her and she had long silver hair down to ben- beneath her bum right and I remember going I am not going near that woman because she, she's obviously this is <laughs> clearly this is the, the, a warning of death and she did die eventually yeah, yeah. God love her but um, <laughs> that's neither did here did you say your great great no my one great okay I, I, maybe I did say great great but she was my great great my, my, my granny she was fantastic and your great grandmother she, yeah, was yeah. Great she was a great, she was a great, great, great grandmother. grandmother. Yeah. So, uh. okay, so the Banshee is part of this fairy mm-hmm. alternate world that has sort of tangible well, effects it, it, on real life. It's interesting to say that alternate world because for the people who believed in the two, it wasn't alternate. It was very okay. much, it, it was very much intertwined with okay. how they experienced everyday life. So it was, it was kind of far more present than we would even think of religion as being now or people who who kind of follow certain religious beliefs. But but we were talking about like listening out first. But actually, you'd be wasting your time slightly because. The legend went that only certain families could hear her. Okay, so talk to me about that. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll list you some of the families. And you can see if you recognise any of these names. 
And if you're listening in with any of these surnames, try not to get too freaked out. But if you're a McCarthy, a McGrath, an O'Neill, an O'Reilly, an O'Sullivan, an O'Riordan, O'Flaherty's, essentially any families that begin with O's or M's are the people that she follows around. And during the research for this, I found out that the old iteration of my name was O'Delaney. Oh, really? Yeah, well, O'Dufloina in Irish. No, (laughs) O'Reilly. And... Because I initially went looking for you. I was like, I bet you she's after Siobhan somehow. <laughs> and well, the, the Macs the, are in there. The, the Macs, yeah. But, uh, and O'Neill's. That's my, my, my mother's line. So, yeah. And McCarthy. And O'Sullivan, I think. Yeah. But what does that say no about hope. where you're from, though? I think it says that uh, there wasn't... Uh, a large wasn't enough gene pool. A large enough gene pool in West Cork <laughs> for 700 <laughs> years. But it's interesting, right? Because this story is from Cork. Yeah. And yeah, you're from yeah. Cork. And so yeah. there's obviously something about that West Coast of Ireland mm. for anyone who doesn't know where Cork is. It's on the West Coast. Beautiful place. Beautiful. Very, very large. Um, mm. uh, very large county. Lots of uh, kingships handed out. Yes. Early on as sort of rewards for things. So you have a lot of so for you know, the O'Neill's even the Maxwinis all came down from the north and mm. sort of, here, have this. Thanks Big chieftain land as well. Yes. Uh, Kingdom so the, of the not only the identities of families are so important, but the fate of what's happening to them, right? Mm. And, and if they are doomed to die in some way, the Banshee's altering the fate of the land, of the people in charge, that she's kind of tied to the story of the place and the, and the people in a way. Definitely st- tied to the story of the place, I think, in that, talking about that kind of fairy integrated into the mm-hmm. landscape thing. Do you know, um, this, I mean, you know, thank God for the edit button. We'll be able to edit this if we need to. But Maddie, um, we were talking about Stoke there and you said mm-hmm. that you, that's where you come from. And I'm staying there at the moment while I'm filming. Mm-hmm. Where I'm filming is in Balterthodon, but where I'm staying is in a village called Oakmoor, mm-hmm. which has... The oak, the chained oak. Yes, yes. The famous chained oak that people might know from Alton Towers, actually. Mm, it's very um, close to Alton a, Towers. But, yeah, 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 but it's a, really reminding me. It feels very uh, pertinent to what we're mm-hmm. talking about, actually, about trying to yeah. withhold the curse or um, sort of defend against mm. the Banshee. Yeah, I mm. think so. And I think, you know, we're talking about the Banshee being specifically Irish, but of course, England has its own uh, folkloric traditions and also more traditions that are more universal. And I think... There's something about the history of place and the landscape and a kind of wildness that I guess brings out an anxiety in people, a feeling of unease maybe. And it's exactly the same. So for anyone who doesn't know, in Staffordshire, there's this really ancient, huge oak tree that has, I think, already decades, if not centuries old chains holding some of the branches in place. And there's a, a folklore um, story of um, the family who owned the land. I think they deny help to an old woman on the road. And she says, when the branches fall from the tree, members of your family will die. And that starts to happen. And so mm. the, the guy who owns the tree starts to chain it up. And I think there's so much there about, yeah, sort of family... It's a preservation of land, I think, and of status and of title. And old women foretelling death. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Whatever kind of border they're supposed to be inhabiting Mm. between life and death, they're able to kind of bring that forth. There's kind of a magic in it almost that they're able to inhabit. Um, Well, it's sort of that Jungian archetype, isn't it? The the sort of hag. Oh, she's off now. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) 
<laughs> Yum, you know. No, but there is something yeah, yeah. about these these collective images we have in 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 most cultures, where like the idea of of the hag woman or the older woman that being profoundly mysterious mm-hmm. and mm. profoundly and being, scary mm. and being a direct enemy to patriarchal lines of lineage yes, exactly. as well. She's a threat to your your yeah. familial status, I guess. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. so. Yeah. Let's get to Bunworth specifically, yes. Anthony. In your in your narrative, you talk about Charles Bunworth, who dies in 1772. Mm-hmm. So why is the Banshee associated with him specifically? And why is it sort of after he's died that this story is attached to him? Um, I think the answer for that might lie in f- fiction, really. What you'll find in kind of later 19th century Ireland when this story starts to gain momentum, it, it was written initially in the early 19th century, but the, the momentum gathers in the later 19th century. There is this kind of Gaelic revival happening in Ireland and often with kind of middle and upper classes even that would have been more associated with land holding and land ownership. But what they're trying to do, and it's interesting because you've just spoken about this in terms of the Banshee and other folklore things, but it's connecting back to the land. Yeah. And they're trying to reconnect going, actually, whose land is this? Yeah. What is the culture of this country? And so there's this kind of revival in 19th century. A revival and reinvention. A hundred percent reinvention. <laughs> yeah. It's not a it's it's not a real reflection of what it was. No, no, no. It's quite it's quite almost this um Era, you know, <laughs> the, mm-hmm. the sort of like Nazi past as well, you know, mm-hmm. that comely maidens going around in their beautiful linens and, you know, Yeats doing his yes. poetry at the at the crossroads. Yeah, mm-hmm. it wasn't a very peasant Ireland, which most of Ireland was. Yeah. It was actually a very kind of Anglo-Ireland, not exclusively, but certainly... It was it was nationalism, but in a very romanticised sort of kind metropolitan of way. vision of the landscape and the, the yeah, rural people. Yeah, very bourgeois kind of, mm-hmm. very bourgeois, very touristy. Yeah. yeah, okay. But it has endured slightly. Yeah. I think there's there's kind of an, an idea behind that, and it was it was kind of trying to extricate Ireland from that kind of imperial influence. Um, mm. But potentially, the next part of our story can tell us a little bit more. Now, a week before Bunworth passed, his herdsman, a Mr. Kavanagh, had been sent to the nearby town of Mallow to collect an elixir that might benefit Bunworth's health. It was 11pm before he returned, as it was nearly a seven-hour round trip on foot. When he reached the house, despite the hour, a troubled Mr. Kavanagh gave the medicine to the Reverend Bunworth's daughter. Without warning, he grabbed her by the arm and in floods of tears blurted out, The master, miss, he is going from us. Miss Bunworth was taken aback and assumed the herdsman had been drinking, but he insisted, Miss, he is going from us, surely we will lose him. The master, we will lose him. The banshee has come for him, Miss, and tis not I alone who have hurt her. Kavanagh recounted how an old woman with long silver hair and a cloak as black as night had followed him part of the way home. As she stalked him, she keened and screeched and even called Charles Bunworth by name. Miss Bunworth dismissed Kavanagh's hysterics as superstition. Kavanagh, however, was in no doubt about what would follow. The Banshee here, Anthony, is associated with a kind of lament that the sound that she makes is the indication that someone's going to die. Is is there a connection maybe with mourning more generally and and the, the traditions in Ireland around death that the Banshee is maybe part of that history? 
Yeah, absolutely. I think the idea of keening or a keening woman goes back to the 8th century in Ireland, I believe. Um, Siobhan, how would you describe a keening woman or a keintorach, I think, is is the Irish? How would you how would you describe the sound? It's they're professional mourners. <laughs> I think they mm. were used up until quite recently. You'd have professional mourners who would come and uh, fling themselves on the coffin and, you know, tear out their hair and and, and be absolutely bereft. Bit of drama. A bit, we love, love a bit it. of drama. There's also like a, a genre of poetry, which is called the Queen, mm. um, which is a lament. And it became very much a, um, it, it's an, a very important style of poetry. Um, the, the famous one is Queen Arti Lyra. And it's very much a, it's almost a threat as well. You know, you killed my husband. This is what's going to happen next. And oh, how I loved him kind of thing. So yeah, the the the, the keen. Have you ever heard one? I haven't. Not in, not in real life. I've never been at a funeral where I've heard a keen. No, no. I haven't. No. I no. think by the kind of middle of the 20th century, it had gone more or less. But I think it was still happening in certain little pockets yeah. in, in like Gaeltacht areas, which are mostly Irish speaking areas in mm-hmm. Ireland. But I've never actually heard it. So keening means crying, right? Like yes. that's so, so, so the, it's, it's wailing. It's a wailing. It's a wailing. It's, no words necessarily. No, just just sort of, you know, Shano singing as well would have yeah. a lot of queeners in it and a lot of wailing in it. Um, Long sustained notes. Yeah. yeah, I was going to say, is there like a form to it? Is there a, it's obviously performative, but is there? Mm. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. know. I don't know. I think probably my instinct tells me that the women who did it knew the form. Mm-hmm. That seems to me would be probably, would be so, likely. Would you say it's part of a, a sort of oral tradition then that's handed down? It's not necessarily something that's formally taught, that it's it's picked up in, in sort of rural communities, maybe? Yeah, it's certainly not like taught in schools or anything, but mm-hmm. the, the tradition of women handing down the tradition amongst themselves and amongst family members, mm-hmm. that seems to ring true when it comes to that. But in terms of like, is it a composed thing that people are singing over? It's like, it's not, it's a cry, it's a kind of a... It's a more ritual. It's more kind of guttural than that, isn't yeah. it? Just to kind of, but but as Siobhan said, there is, there is laments and there is kind of elements of the the Queen Torek that has words as well. Like it can translate into song, but they're not what the banshee is associated with. That that's mm. taking that to another kind of level again. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello, host of Dan Snow's History Hit Podcast here. History isn't just dates and facts. It's about the incredible stories that shape our world. Three times a week on my podcast, my expert guests and I bring you extraordinary stories of heroism, discovery, mystery, and power. Expect tales of lost tombs, daring escapes, power-hungry rulers, and those determined to bring them all down. If you're a history lover or just looking for a good tale, you want to check out Dan Snow's History Hit wherever you get your podcasts. 
my next question really is about the Banshee's approach to death. Does she approach different deaths differently? Because she foretells of death, mm-hmm. it's up to you then what you do with that. So, you know, there's this idea of the good death. Okay. And so it's then whether or not you're going to fight it and kind of rail against it, which, by the way, the Banshee has said this is going to happen, so it's inevitable it is going to happen. So you can't outsmart her? You can't escape her? I don't think so. As far as I'm aware, it will follow you. Okay. Yeah. Or you can choose to have a good death. It can kind of soften the blow. You can prepare. I mean, here, Bunworth is being given the... The heads up. The heads up. Mm. If, if they if they decide to listen to it, which, you know, the daughter is saying she's not really going to. But I also think, because we were talking about the um, the kind of Gaelic revival in the 19th century earlier, but there's something here where it's the servant who comes back, mm. the Irish man of the land, not the Church of Ireland family. He comes back and he says, I have heard the Banshee mm-hmm. and it's relating to your family, but you haven't heard it. And then the, the daughter is apparently very doubtful. Do you think there's like, does that seem to ring true in terms of what you know of the Banshee as we're kind of growing up in Ireland? I don't know, but the, like now I'm thinking of if you'd seen me this morning, I think anybody would have thought that I was a banshee wailing and, and wandering around. Did you lose your phone again, Siobhan? <laughs> but, you know, you could, you could, uh, you know, <laughs> sort of love the idea that any woman of a certain age wandering the roads of the countryside and just sort of going, oh, God, <laughs> it's the banshee. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Run, run. Or just like, spreading just panic across the Somebody world. up for a bit of devilment. Do you know what? There's somebody coming down the road there now. Here, here, look at, hold my pint, Mikey. I'm that gonna... must have happened. <laughs> that must have happened. It's also, it feeds into that thing of the Irish peasant as something more rudimentary that is clicking into that fairy folklore thing, whereas this kind of the civilised anglicising mm-hmm. thing yeah. is it, it's slightly sort of making this folkloric tradition palatable in a way that it maybe wouldn't have been a hundred years earlier in the sort of drawing rooms of of cities mm. you know it's dressing it up and making it yeah seem kind of civilised or like narrativizing it in some way it's turning into into a story rather than taking it seriously I think in, in this in this yeah. particular case yeah there's also something about kind of infantilization of the Irish pe- Irish yeah. peasantry mm-hmm. as well yeah. where it's like oh look them there believing in ghosts fairies. and yeah. fairies and yeah. stuff and it's yeah it's I don't a, think that's the that's not what they're trying to do but it's mm. in there nonetheless yeah. like, the, 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 the threat of the banshee isn't taken that seriously it's a kind of charming yeah. relic of something bearing in mind this is written by the descendant of the Bunworths so mm-hmm. it's, it's written from that kind of position that middling upper middling class position in Ireland at the time um, but it is, it is also interesting I think if you think about what was to come in Ireland in terms of the Christianization, well it was already Christianized, but like the way Catholicism was solidified as a way to run the country essentially by the beginning of the 20th century that this kind of was the, that Gaelic revival was harking back to something even though it was romanticised as you said Siobhan it was like still harking back to something that was a little bit more Irish mm-hmm. in that sense or, or Celtic or like folkloric or something um, didn't last obviously because of the Catholic Church but it's interesting that there was they were trying to have that conversation potentially around that mm. time At what point does a funny cute comforting superstition that your grandmother may have said to you when you were at her knee and feeling very cosy and loved and warm when does that become slightly manipulated and monetized and patronized mm. uh, by different people do you mm. know what i mean and i think that's what 
when does it become Darby O'Gill and the Little People? Mm. Or the play mm-hmm. we did. Or the play we did. Yeah. You know, when when does it, when does... When is Irishness commodified? Commodified and used against the Irish. The Irish. Mm-hmm. And you can see that starting to happen in this case. I don't know, but it's no, a very... I think... you, you not only have the event supposedly happening when, 17... 1772. 1772. Yeah. But this has been recalled how many generations Two generations later. later. So we have two things going on. Mm. Yeah, yeah. The event that has happened, but been filtered through several generations after that yeah. and been listened to now with all the stuff that has happened subsequently. I yes. don't know, there's... Bearing in mind, and that's a really good point because since the supposed... Well, not that he did die in 1772. So since that, we have... 1798 we have the revolutions throughout Europe we have things are beginning to shift empires are beginning to fall monarchs are beginning to make way for more kind of mm-hmm. palatable and republican places in, in France and, and Ireland was trying to do that too yeah and failed yeah and so that's the context of the middle piece of that story yeah where Bunworth actually dies and then his great great grandson yeah and the question of what Ireland will look like in the future is sort of absolutely paramount in, in this time that it's looking to the past but also in a really serious way starting to consider what Ireland looks like under Britain without Britain on mm-hmm. the world stage yeah. and, No you know, for sure I think that's really really interesting because yeah. I think um, with and I obviously only talk about the Republic independence there but when we got rid of the Brits, <laughs> you know, we didn't have, as far as I'm aware, something to take its place. We left a vacuum. Well, and we know what and filled it. The church mm. and the church filled it. But it was like my favourite, my favourite sort of um, story about the New Republic and the pragmatism and hope of the New Republic is... Oh, just it, it it delights me for some strange reason. Uh, I, I went to school in Cork City and uh, up Patrick's Hill, there was I don't know if it's still there, but there was a post box, like you'd have here, literally like you'd have here, a Victor, you know, a mm. RV, and but painted green. So when the infrastructure of the um, with the civil service left, the architecture was still there. So they just painted a green. Yeah, just nice. yeah, yeah, yeah. slap a bit of green on that there now. Wonderful. The green, yeah. you know, literally greenwashing. But also there's something very pragmatic and very sort of, I find it, I'm like, that's a sensible decision. <laughs> yeah. You know, there no, was, and also they didn't have any money, but yes, like I get it. No, for sure. But it, it, it also speaks to me of like, you know, the, 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 there's quite a few stories of like when we got rid of the Brits, we didn't know what to do. Mm. Mm. Yeah. So you sort of took over... The infrastructure of that the colonial power had left completely. Behind. We only knew colonial civil service um, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. bureaucracy. Yeah. So what do you do when that goes? You don't. Mm. You sort of go. Well, what were we before them then? Yeah. Mm. And what position does the traditional folklore exactly of the land? What position does that hold when it's been pushed to the periphery in that structure? Mm-hmm. Getting it back and interweaving it into the culture again. Absolutely, it becomes not only an act of rebellion, an act of defiance. Mm-hmm. It becomes a sort of an education as well. It's like, yeah. oh, this is, must be who we are then, mm. because it's not them. Yeah. By virtue of it not being English, it must be yeah. Irish kind of thing. Yeah. And there's sort of then this this uneasy, I think, relationship with like 
with folklore and with mythology? Well, I don't think it lasted, you know, now that you're saying that, like once the Catholic Church really did come in, we lost it again slightly. Mm, it was just yeah. another because it didn't fit in with Catholicism. It didn't no. fit in with. Well, it didn't fit into the sort of patriarchal structure of Catholicism, which yeah. is all a Catholicism. I, 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 I agree. But what I mean is like it was specifically it was specifically to sort of root out <laughs> women wandering the streets. Yeah, 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 yeah. women. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Very which much. famously the Catholic Church does not enjoy. No, no, no. Um, no. Shall we see what happens in the last Cannot wait. Of Go this. on there now. As the week progressed, despite Miss Bunworth's hopes, her father's health deteriorated. Bunworth had asked to be moved to the parlour downstairs, which would, apparently, make it easier for his two daughters to care for him. It would also give him better views across the countryside where he had grown up. Word had spread through the community that Kavanagh had claimed to have had an encounter with the Banshee, which foretold Bunworth's death. Despite this, they visited the Bunworths as was customary when a member of the family was at death's door and stayed with them long into each night. On the final night, the locals gathered once more. As they sat and chatted in the kitchen, reminiscing about the minister's life as he prepared to leave it, suddenly they looked gravely at one another as they heard an almost indiscernible female moan from outside the kitchen window. An elderly woman attending Bunworth in the parlour came rushing in to the other locals and confirmed that she too had heard it. It grew louder then. The old lady was convinced the banshee was close. Two men ran outside to catch what they presumed was a very human culprit in the act. After circling the grounds, they found the night as still as the coffin and returned to the house. As they stood in the doorway, the local people looked back at them ashen. Nothing to be found, the men reported. All quiet outside. It was a great surprise to them then, when the folk gathered inside told them that rather than silence that they had encountered outside, they had endured ever more dramatic moaning, keening, screeching and banging inside the house. Unsure what to make of these conflicting stories, the two men closed the door behind them and re-entered the kitchen. As the door clicked on the latch the incessant keening started once more. This went on until the first slices of light cut across the darkened horizon. Then the keening stopped and all was still. At that moment, his great-great-grandson tells us, Charles Bunworth succumbed to his illness and departed this world with quiet resolve. What an awful way to go. Which one? Like roaring and wailing and keening and screeching. Not ideal, like. No, it's a really fearful... Well, now, he wasn't roaring and wailing and... No, the banshee, but but the idea of the banshee, it just seems, it seems so, you know, for a nation that purports to be so good with death and knows how to grieve and knows how to... Yeah, so that's what really struck me at the end of the story is in in this country in England we are, have a really sanitized relationship with death actually and you know people don't often die at home and i know that that is still quite different in ireland generally and to me the banshee the fact that she's outside the house then she's inside the house she's upsetting the peace and the quiet and the the calm and sort of the sacredness of this moment of someone dying there is there is a difficulty i think in having death in the house it's maybe more common 
in the what is in the context of the story of the late 18th century being written about in the 19th century but it's it's not an easy thing it's uneasy and the banshee maybe sort of represents some of that uneasiness she's sort of violating the home and and this peaceful time it's interesting it's it, having been in a house where somebody is due to die it very much feels like that, actually, without the screaming. Oh, sometimes there can be a bit of screaming. There but... can be screaming and keening and whatever. Somebody could be upset naturally. Mm. Yeah, I, I just sort of think that there's something so um, punitive about it and something so um, you did wrong and this is the price. You've tried to avoid the mm. inevitable price, which is death. And that doesn't seem to be involved with this story at all. I mean, his only crime, as far as I can figure out, in 17 blah de blah <laughs> is that he happens to be a minister. So therefore... But you see, this is the thing. I don't think this particular one is... This particular story, I mean... Is a vengeful is kind a vengeful, of thing. Yeah, because we grow up with the going, you want to avoid that. Yeah, you want to avoid it. It's like, you know, be good or... You know, all yeah. these sorts of things. It's it's more punitive and more... Yeah. And like the idea of... I mean, you know, I'm going to hark and I guess that there are no such things as banshees. But the idea of, you know, minding your father in the front room as he looks out... Yeah. And through his very, very final couple of hours and having this wailing and horribleness and screeching I'm not sure what this story is then mm. apart from oh I have an example from my family history lore yeah. that mm. uh, we had a banshee do you know what my instinct on that is the great great grandson is claiming Irishness Ah, I think that's all it is in that they come to us the banshee comes to us and despite our kind of she, her, her appearance authenticates his Irishness. Don't you think as well, though, it, there's such a tension between him being a minister that he's a man of the church yeah. and that he's coming and he's coming up against right, yeah. a figure from a completely, well, a supposedly completely different belief system. They are obviously interlinked in complicated ways, but that there's a kind of a tension there, a, a sort of contrast, mm. maybe, maybe, I maybe, yeah, mm. like the the idea of that particular faith not being, or value system, or or um, faith system not being Irish, maybe not yeah. being, yeah, and that she's the sort of the epitome of Irishness yeah. in that way, or is it that? This brilliant man is dying. This brilliant man with lovely Irish spoken, mm. with a great ancestor. He was a harpist as well. So and a harpist, yeah, so like yeah. already elevated historically, bardic tradition, etc. That his demise could only bring the banshee who would wail mm. and keen and weep for this great man's passing. Yes. That it's actually He's almost, earned it. He's earned, yeah, that there's some sort of preemptive heralding towards bringing him to death. Yeah. Yeah. Do you love know, that? Love that. We'll, we'll love have that. Love that for him. Love that for yeah. him. No, but it is. I, honestly, good for yeah, him. Yeah, yeah. Um, come here to me. Did you, I won't ask you, Maddie, because I don't think you, this will have happened to you, but had you ever any kind of family encountery, personal banshee story type things when you were growing up or no? No, but I would think that I would hear her and especially around Halloween. You, you would think that there was a there was a threat that that was going to happen? Completely. And there would be the exact say, like I'd be trying to put my fingers in my ears for fear. See, mm. I'm not, I wasn't losing the run of myself. Well, then. I think, I think growing up in Ireland in the 80s, we were all losing the run of ourselves. I also used to go down the corridor of the house if I was the last one going to, to bed and I would be muttering Hail Marys under my breath oh my God. for fear 
the Virgin Mary would come as an apparition. I'd be like, please, Virgin Mary, do not come to me tonight. I used to say that about dead people. I'd be like, don't talk to me tonight. I can't, I can't cope Grandma, with it tonight. I cannot be dealing with you. <laughs> Rescheduled it. No, I honestly, because I, I knew no, it would we happen. We never talked about this before. We no, have really. never spoken about this before. But I used no. to say the exact same thing. Not tonight. Not I can't tonight, cope Margaret. Um, I always am in awe of like young kids who sort of when they're told when they're wearing any form of religion that they, they wear it lightly. I'm like, how do you know? Like, yeah. why aren't you believing it? Who's, who who whispered in your ear that you don't really have to take it that seriously? Yeah, and it's yeah. like, just basically turn up at Christmas, you're grand. Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, why wouldn't you go in hell for leather? Why wouldn't you, if you're told about the banshees, go, well, I mean, it makes as much sense as anything else. My nephew thinks that Jesus is one of the Avengers. <laughs> like, he doesn't know that <laughs> that's a... And what I, I'm what just would like, that outfit look like? I don't know. I was like, oh. no, he's not one of those. And oh. he's like, oh, okay. Uh, mm, is it right? Wearing it so lightly. Yeah. But like even with um, fairy forts and all, you know. Oh, but yeah. then Jesus, again, you wouldn't go to, you have fairy forts here, yeah. Not in the same way. I know in Ireland, you know, we hear the famous anecdotes of roads being rerouted because yeah. fairy trees don't want to be disturbed and that kind of thing, right? Is that, yeah, is yeah, that yeah. what you're talking about? Yeah, yeah. You do, that doesn't happen here. I think, so in English folklore, I think, Fairies are absolutely a thing. They're present in the landscape, but they're they're not taken as seriously, or they're not seen as tangible in the That's same weird, way. Because they're not in Ireland either. But at the same time, you wouldn't take the risk. You know that kind of way. I know, but I feel very uncomfortable here. I like being Where? in a room full of Eng- like I I genuinely do because we just. Anthony would come across like I know that's what I'm saying Egypt. that's why I was rowing back I was like well we, we do take it seriously but we don't we, take it seriously at the no, same time No but we also we, but like because there's such it's used it has been used as a reason to not take us seriously Yeah, 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 yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. any discussion of superstition or supernatural or folklore it's fueled. It's potent. You can't. You can't. It's potent because you can't. You can't separate. I can't separate it from this inheritance of feeling infantilized. Mm. Mm. And especially, you know, when you move over here, or like all the things you have to combat when you move over here, and then you know, it's like, yeah, but we can't. Yeah, I know. Don't give them that. Mm. These mm. are all just tales. Yes. Um, mm. They're interesting tales. We, like, even to discuss the sort of metaphor of them, the 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 usefulness the of uh, talismans or something, to, to stories as objects to explore something else. I still feel a little bit like, yeah, but we're not tech. Yeah. We're not, stu- we're very rational. <laughs> but it, it feeds into the, the saints and scholars thing, right? In that, mind you, she says, we're still, we were very rational as we bargained with the Virgin Mary not to appear to us <laughs> when we're children. Know, yeah, yeah. But that's, that's the kind of dichotomy of it, I suppose. But it's that saints and scholars thing, right? It's that storytelling. What we're not wary of is our storytelling. No. And our the, our narrative building and our community building through story and yeah. our inheritance through story and narrative. And I think, uh, maybe this is a decent place to wrap it up, but I think that's probably where the Banshee lives. I think so. And there's something that suits both parties in this when it's a grey area mm. because the storyteller can use it for their own need and the listener can use it for what they need to think of the storyteller. You know, mm. it can be dismissed or you can swear that you're telling the truth and yeah. still, you know, wink to the next yes. person. There's that wink is very important. And I think that's that grey area is where a lot of 
relationships with Ireland and the Irish at this time sort of lives. We'll let you have this, but we're not really telling you the other stuff. The other stuff. Yeah. Siobhan does that make sense? President. Yeah, it does make sense. But the Banshee is, if nothing else, is is um is a really cool image and a mm. frightening sound. And yeah. yeah. And she's one that follows Irish people around the world, right? That's right. When people emigrate, she That's goes right. with them. Very yeah. much in America. Yeah, lots of stories. Yeah. Lots of stories of, of her following them to America. So, mm. you know, uh, we like to travel. We do. Well, I think we've probably run out of time, but Siobhan, thank you so much for this amazing discussion and for bringing your BAFTA along with you today. (laughs) Vital. Thank you for inviting us both. I've had a really, really nice chat. Really nice chat. Thank you so much for listening to After Dark, Myths, Misdeeds and the Paranormal. You can follow us wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to leave a review... That's always appreciated, would you say, Anthony? Only if it's good. Yeah, obviously, only if it's good. Do not bother if it's bad. Thank you very much. We will see you next episode. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. It's okay if you aren't ready for kids right now. It's okay if you don't want to be a mom now or even ever. It's nobody's decision but yours. But do you know what's not okay? Not knowing how effective your birth control is. Talk to your doctor about effective birth control options so you can make an informed decision. Tap to learn more. Well, thank you for listening to this episode of After Dark. Please follow this show wherever you get your podcast. It really helps us and you'll be doing us a big favour. Don't forget, you can listen to all these podcasts ad-free and watch hundreds of documentaries when you subscribe at historyhit.com forward slash subscribe. And as a special gift, now don't say we never give you anything, you can also get your first three months for £1 a month when you use the code AFTERDARK at checkout.